Uh, good morning, Redeemer. Uh, if you walked in a little late, uh, we've already read our psalm for this morning, Psalm 71. So uh, I trust that you'll keep your Bibles open in front of you. I'll be referencing uh, this passage throughout our time together in God's Word. Um, will you pray with me? Our Father, your Word has been uh, read faithfully. It's been read by your people that we have had the beautiful uh, privilege of reading the living, active, uh, given to us Word of God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for carrying uh, man to inspire it and to write it. Thank you for the way that you have preserved it through the ages that we now have the very Word of God in our midst. Father, we pray that you would indeed give wisdom and insight and clarity of thought as I preach, but that you would also give uh, softened hearts for us all as we listen to your word expounded upon. Uh, Father, would you forgive me of my own sins and that of our hearers? Uh, thank you for Jesus who blots them out and makes us white as snow. May we experience uh, that cleansing even this hour, this moment, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to start uh, with a graphic. I sent something to Jimmy, and Greg is going to open it up for us this morning. Uh, what you're looking at right here is uh, the age demographics of our church. And so right now you'll notice at 1230, according to Breeze, that's uh, the number of members that we have in uh, this fellowship of believers here. But I want you to notice sort of this wheel, this pie chart. And so if you look right here, if your age is zero to three, there are about 121 of you who fit in that demographic there, and you kind of work around the wheel. If your age is four through 10, there's about 157 of you who fit there, 11 through 17, about 88, 18 through 30 is right here, roughly 286, 31 through 40 is right here, an additional 280. And then you move into this final segment here. Those are uh, those of us in our congregation who are 51 to 60. And then, uh, no, this is 51 to 60. This is six, no, did I get that right? I think I did it. No, that's right. Anyway, that 8%, that's 98 of you who don't have birthdays in Breeze right now. <laughs> so I'm going to plug this one more time for Brian so that we can get accurate. Uh, please, if you're in that 8%, fill that out. But I, I, I'm thinking about this particular demographic this morning. These are people who are 51 to 60, 61 to 70, 71 to uh, on. And according to my math, uh, those who fit in those three target areas, it's approximately 133 of you. You make up 11% of our congregation if you are uh, 51 or older. And so I've been specifically thinking about you this week if you're in that demographic. Thank you, Greg. Um, I've been thinking about you and praying for you specifically this week um, that growing old is something that you have the luxury of experiencing maybe in a deeper way than most of us who don't quite fit into that demographic. And there's a lot of things that, that, that change as we age. I was talking to Brian some this week, and we came across this quote that, that as we get older, life begins to take more than it gives. You start to lose friends. You start to see marriages uh, dissolve. You start to uh, 
become widowed, you start to uh, have certain medical diagnosis, and it's a whole new way of living. And if that's where you are, um, I pray for you, and I pray that God would indeed minister to you this morning. But for the 89% of us who aren't there, I, I don't want you to tune out uh, for several reasons. One, if the Lord gives you long life, then you'll be there. Uh, for another reason, that many of us have aging parents and grandparents, and isn't it in the kindness of God to put us in a space where we can understand some of the things that they wrestle with, with aging, that we might be better equipped to love and walk with them. When the scriptures speak of bearing one another's burdens, the burden of aging is a real thing. And the last that I check, right, that we're called to bear that with those in our midst who are growing old. And so wherever you are this morning, I pray that the Lord would use our time to bless us and to show us that there is indeed hope for growing old. The first thing I want us to think about in this particular passage is the reality of aging. I'm going to show my hand. Uh, I think this, this psalm is, is written by David, and I'm not the only one. Many scholars that I read this week think that it's written by David, but here, here are a few reasons why. Uh, some scholars have said that Psalm 70 and Psalm 71 uh, have gone together, and you'll see in Psalm 70 that it was written by David. Another reason for me is, is when you look at Psalm 71 and you lay that on top of Psalm 31, that the opening verses are almost identical in the Hebrew. You start to see in Psalm 31, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. And your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. That's almost identical to the way that Psalm 71 starts. There's another word in here that I actually had to look up, right? And it's the word that you see in verse 7 where it says, I have been as a portent to many. Portent means important, but, uh, but uh, Beth Tanner in her beautiful commentary on the Psalms, she translates that verse this way. I have been an example to many. And so whoever the writer of this psalm is, that they're not just an ordinary person, that they are a pillar of Israel. They are, have been up front and uh, almost an example to what it means to live a life of faith and godly, godly, god, godliness. Another reason I think it's David is because in the Septuagint, it's ascribed to David and finally if you look at Psalm 72, right there where book 2 ends, there's this, this verse in verse 20 where it says, The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. And so all of that in my mind, I think a compelling case could be made that this is probably David. David as an older man. Now why am I saying an older man? Uh, and why am I, even if it's not David, right? Here's what we do know about this psalm that it was not written by a young person, that it was written by someone with gray hair, someone who probably had a walking stick, someone who had wrinkles on their hands and skin, someone who had lived life and lived a full life. And you start to see that in verses 5 through 9. Look at it in your Bibles with me. It says, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust. O Lord, from my youth, 
Upon you have I leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. I have been an example to many, yet you are my refuge. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Look at verses 17 through 18. O God, from my youth you have taught me, so even to old age and gray hairs do not forsake me. You see who's written this? This was probably a covenant child who was born into a believing family because there's references to you have been my God since I was a child. Even before my mother's womb, you've known me. And now this child has grown and they've grown and have lived a full life. And now they are gray haired and now they're reflecting on the covenant loyalty and faithfulness of God. This is not written by a young person. This psalm is penned by an older saint. And in one way, we're on hollow ground. We're getting to look at what it means to pursue Jesus and the final stages of life. And for that, we just ought to be thankful that this is in our Bibles. And I think what, what, what we don't see that's right under our noses is the fact that while Jesus changes a lot of things, he gives you and I a new heart. He gives us a new eternity. He gives us a new family. And yet, one thing he hasn't changed is the fact that we will grow old. If you were to put a believing Christian next to a non-believer, they're going to look the same externally. Christians get Alzheimer's. Christians get gray hair. Christians get osteoporosis. Christians get dementia. We age, and there is no magic pill out there that you can take to stop that. And aging is nothing more than a mile marker, right? On the pathway of death, our body starts to break down and it betrays us. And so in one sense, to age, it, is, it, it does mean that, that I am getting closer and closer and closer and closer to death. And so this psalm, the psalmist is writing as an aged, weathered man. And so we'll age. The next thing I think we see in our passage are some of the risks or challenges that come with aging. And so I, I believe that because we can identify uh, the, the season of life that the psalmist is in, that that begins to shape how we view this psalm. In other words, when he talks about you be my refuge and you be my rock, this means something differently as an 80 or 90-year-old man. And, and what you start to see about God is that He's dynamic, right? He can be the rock for a 19-year-old. But don't make the mistake and think that somehow when you reach a certain age that he is not still a rock and a refuge. And so what you have is an older saint asking God to, to, to be this for me. And, and because he's crying out to God in this way, asking God to be this, then I think what we start to see is that one of the things that the psalmist is wrestling with is that of weakness. Look at verse 9. 
Do not cast me off at the time of my old age. Forsake me not. And look at that phrase, when my strength is spent. The psalmist does not have the pep in his step anymore. If this is David, he can't go mount a horse and go to battle anymore. He can't pick up a weapon anymore and lead the troops that he needs to take naps during the day now. That he can't engage in hand-to-hand combat. He's, he's struggling. This is a weakened man who's wrestling with usefulness and vigor. You ever felt that as an older person? Well, you just you can't stay up anymore. You need your rest, right? And I think that weakness is giving way to vulnerability. Read verse 10 in light of what the author just said. He says, do not cast me off of my old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. And then look at verse 10. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together. And they say, God has forsaken him. Let's pursue and seize him. For there is none to deliver him. Now, I think the psalmist is saying, not only am I weak, but now I'm vulnerable. Right? I'm vulnerable to be attacked. He feels exposed that whatever they were saying or doing, they could not get away when he was in his prime. And now that he's an older man, they're doing things that they could not get away with. And we see this, right, played out with nursing home fraud. We see this when you see on television at times, and, and I hate to see it, but we'll see our senior citizens getting robbed. They're being preyed upon because they're weak and vulnerable. You see it all in our culture where the oldest and the most vulnerable amongst us are easily taken advantage of. And I think that's what this psalmist sort of feels in this passage. But there are more, right? I think the psalmist struggles with being discarded because he's no longer useful. You see that in verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Look at verse 12. O God, be not far from me. Look at verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me. That image behind being forsaken, it's the, the, the picture of hurling something overboard when it is no longer useful. And so when the psalmist is saying, do not forsake me when my strength is spent, this is a plea, right? That I'm no longer strong. I can no longer do what I used to do. Oh God, do not cast me overboard and do away with me in my moment of weakness. But beyond that sense of vulnerability and being discarded, there's this idea of loneliness, right? It says, do not be far from me. Do not forsake me. Don't throw me away. And, and, and don't just not throw me away, but come close, come near. There's a fear of loneliness. That there's something in Japan right now, it's uh, called lonely death cleanups. And a lonely death cleanup happens when a senior citizen is out of contact with family, they've outlived friends, and um, they usually die alone. And they're there for weeks or months. Uh, in one case that I read about, it was a half of a year 
before someone even knew that this woman in this room uh, in her apartment had died. Everything was set up, auto draft, and no children to take care of her. And so now they have this lonely death cleaning, and it's what a company will do. They will actually come in and in hazmat suits when apartment owners find out that one of their tenants have been in there for months, and they will clean their remains and make the apartment suitable for the next person. Here's what one author writes about it. More than a quarter of the population in Japan is over 65, and that figure is set to rise to 40% by 2050. One research institute, a think tank in Tokyo called the NLI Research Institute, they estimate that nearly 30,000 senior citizens die alone every year in their country. And because of that, there's a boom in the lonely death cleanup industry. One company called Next, they average 50 lonely death cleanups per week. Imagine buying an apartment and you're asked, do you want lonely death insurance when you sign the document? That's a reality. Ask any aging person. There's a fear of dying alone. And I think the psalmist feels this. The other thing that I think we see in the passage is this presence of unrelenting enemies. That, that for some reason, these enemies are still there. Look at verse 4. Rescue me from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. In verse 10, my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together. In verse 13, my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. In other words, this is an older man who is still writing about enemies. One scholar says this, the speaker might have expected that mature age would bring exemption from such attacks, but such is not the case. The enemies of the king were present as much at the end of his life as it was at his beginning. In other words, what you're starting to read is that there is no relenting. I don't know about you, but I kind of think in my mind that when I get 50, 10 more years, I'm not going to struggle with this thing, right? I, in my mind, I kind of think when I get 60, I'm a coast and we're going to be good and I'm going to be so holy and not struggle. And then when you read this psalm, this is an old man who is still writing about enemies, and it's so ambigu ambiguous, and I actually think it's our friend. Why do I think ambiguity is our friend? Because Paul would later write about the three enemies of, of every Christian. It's our flesh, our own sinfulness. It's the world around us, the world system, and it's the devil. There are three enemies out there, and here is what, if you're like me, I kind of think, man, I'm going to get a pass when I get 60. The devil's going to turn down his dial, and I'm going to be good. And my sin, it's going to turn down its dial, and I'm going to be good. And the world, they're going to adore me. And you know what? It's actually the opposite. This is an old man who is still being assaulted, either by his own sin or by the world. Or if you look at our passage, look right there in verse 4. 
Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel man. And that's singular. This could be an allusion to Satan. We don't get a pass when we get 60. It doesn't become easier. When I was at Jackson State, I did a men's study year after year with some of our guys, and we did it off of a curriculum called 33 of the Series. And uh, it was a video curriculum put together with some books. And one of the things that I love most about the first season was the last episode of the first season. And it talks about the seasons of a man's life. And so it, 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 it tried to make an analogy between a man who grows up and our four seasons. And so it would say that, hey, if you are zero up until 13 or 14, you are in the spring of your life, right? And then when you get 14 and you go up to about 25, you are in the summer of your life. And then from 25 all the way up to 40 or 45, you are in the fall of your life. And once you hit 50, you are in the winter of your life. And what I loved about the, 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 uh, the, 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 the study was that each season had certain milestones that a man should sort of cross in terms of identity and purpose and what we'll worship and who we are and then learning uniquely how God made us, that every season sort of had these milestones, these deep questions that we should be asking. But there was a lot of thought put also around the entrapments in every season. And one of the entrapments of men in the winter season of life was that of complacency. That there's a threat of turning inward with our resources and time. The older the man gets, the more he wants to spend time pursuing the things that he wants. He feels entitled because he's worked long and hard to accumulate things. And so now he feels entitled. He's given to children. He's given to his wife. He's given to a career. And now he wants a season where he can reap and start to turn inward on himself. And so he wants to hang out in the deer stand all the time. He wants to work on this project car he has all the time. He wants to acquire more stuff all the time. And he fails to invest in other men. And because he's lost some of his friends along the way, that he sort of drifts out there in no man's land, afraid to make new friends, afraid to take on big projects that will outlive his life. And so this may, it's easy in that winter season to just turn on the TV and to kick our feet up and veg out. It doesn't get easier. And if you don't believe me that this is a real temptation, turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings Chapter 11, and it's on page 292 if you're in a pew Bible, but this is a section that I think it's worth our reading. 291, the bottom of 291, and this is about Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women 
along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall never enter marriage with them, neither shall they be with you, for you sure, they will surely turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. And look at verse 4. When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Notice what the Bible is saying. That Solomon's folly was not when he was a young man. His folly was when he was old. His heart went after other gods. And so if you're here this morning, I get it. And not because I'm 60 or 70. I get it because I see the Bible and I see what the Bible is saying. There are dangers lurking with our aging. We feel vulnerable. We feel exposed. We struggle with usefulness. We see the breakdown of our bodies and our minds. And that's hard. But the good news of the passage is that God makes promises to those who are aging. If you read this psalm, it's, it's very personal. It starts out, in you do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be a rock to me to which I may continually come. You have given the command to see me, for you are my rock, my fortress. Rescue me, O oh my God, for you, O oh Lord, are my home. My praise is continually to you. Did you notice how personal this letter is? That this psalmist is not telling us things about God. It's one thing to know that God is a rock, that he is a home, he is a refuge. But that's not what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, you're my rock, you're my refuge, you're my shield. In other words, his relationship with the Lord has become deeply personal. And I think there's something beautiful in the passage, and it comes out, and it's not so much as what age has done to him, but it's what God has done to him through time. Look at verse 20. You who have made me see many troubles and many calamities. In other words, this is a man at the end of his life who's seen a lot. And if it's David, he's seen what it's like to be overlooked by his parents. He's seen what it's like to play second fiddle to his brothers. He's seen what it's like to ascend to the throne and then to have to run for his life. He's buried a child who did not live long that he conceived immorally. And he had to lay that child to rest. And he watched his family fall apart through his adultery. 
And then he saw another son, Absalom, who wanted to take his life, and his heart was split in two when his own son, Absalom, was killed. And then Jonathan, who was, his, their hearts were knit together like brothers, best friends on the planet. He saw his own best friend, Jonathan, die. You get the image that whoever wrote this psalm has seen a lot of loss, a lot of suffering, a lot of tragedy, a lot of calamity. And when you read verse 20, it actually says, and you made me see it. In other words, this is the Lord, the Lord's hand in showing David death and showing David suffering and showing David calamity. And here is the beautiful thing about the passage. Though David has seen all of this, you want to know what else he has seen? Yahweh has never left my side. I've lost children. I've lost friends. I see the kingdom crumbling. And when the smoke clears, guess who I'll never lose? You. You are my rock. And I see it. I see it through suffering. I see it through hardship. I see it through calamity. That every time I think that that glory is found in a friendship, you take it. That every time, every time I think glory is found in power, you take it. That every time I think glory is found in children, you take them. And one thing that you are doing, you're weaning my heart and my affections off of all of these good things that I would take for granted. And you're reminding me, ever reminding me, that you alone are my rock. And you alone are my shield. And you alone are my portion forever. That's an old, wise Christian talking to us, Redeemer. And that's why he would say in verse 15, Though I've suffered loss, the deeds of salvation whose number is past my knowledge. The good news is that we don't have to be afraid of aging. God's covenant loyalty to you is never ceasing. God's covenant loyalty to you in Christ Jesus does not have an expiration date. When you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was for forever. Forever, ever, forever, ever. Some of y'all know the song, right? He does not say to you, I'm your God in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s. And when you get 50, I'm done with you. That is not our God. He is yours now and forever. And I'm letting you know right now, when I get 55, I'm getting me a tattoo. I might do it at 50, right? I'm getting me another one, right? I'm going to get one right on my neck. It's going to be right here and right here. And I'm going to tell you what verse is going to be, so don't look at me crazy when you see it. It's going to be Isaiah 46, verses 3 through 5. Listen to it. So if you're writing in your Bibles, I want you right next to Psalm 71, I want you to write Isaiah 46, 3 through 5. That's a verse that needs to shape how we read this psalm. And notice what it says. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. I might not put all that on there, right? But all the remnant of the house of Israel, 
who have been born by me from before your birth and carried from the womb. And here's the thing. Here's verse 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and I will bear you and I will carry you and I will save. To whom will you liken me and make, we, make me equal and compare me? And the answer is no one. The Lord makes a promise to his older saints that even when your hair turns gray, I'm going to carry you home. And that's good news. That is good news to you this morning. You also have to believe that Christ's righteousness is ever working. That I know, right? I've, I've watched people that I love age, and I've watched them in my mind, like, get really mean, <laughs> impatient, and maybe they don't like noise, and they're short, and they're blunt, right? I'm just telling what I've seen. I'm not... I'm not saying that's true of anybody in here. I'm just saying what I've seen, right? You got to know that the righteousness of Christ covers your curmudgeonness. You got to believe it. You got to believe that those sins that you might commit in your future latter years, the patience of Christ covers your impatience. The tenderness of Christ covers your abrasiveness. And that doesn't mean that we don't repent and own it, but I'm just letting you know that there is grace even for your failures. The other thing we see in the passage, or maybe not directly in this passage, is that God has indeed given you the church. In Titus 2, in 1 Timothy 5, and 1 Peter 5, you get these commandments that have to do with how younger people are to treat older people and how older people are to engage and, and serve younger people. Now, what's the underlying assumption if Peter and Paul are both telling us, you know what the assumption is? The assumption is that he expects the church to not just be a cool, hipster, millennial place where we push our older citizens to the periphery or outside of the church. No, in Paul's mind, the church is beautified when you have someone on the row who's three, and on the same row you got somebody who's 93. That's how God designed the church to function, that we're interdependent. And so here's some good news to you aging saints. What we see happening in Japan where you have lonely, deaf cleanups because someone sits in a house for three months because no one is checking on them, that should not be named in the church of Jesus. And I've seen it happen here, where Steve Lanier has gone into the home of an aging member who's died. And it didn't take us months to figure out that she was on her last minutes of life. Someone in her Bible study says, hey, I hadn't seen her, hadn't talked to her, and we have an extra key to her house in, this, in the church. And someone went in the house and found her, got her to the hospital. She didn't live. But that's the kind of covenant loyalty that Jesus gives to the church. Well, we're called in our strength 
to serve those who are weak. We're called in our resources to serve those who don't have voices or stamina. I love to see it when people pick up our senior citizens and bring them to church. I salute you. Thank you for modeling for us all what it means to have a covenant community where we will serve those in our midst. And you don't have to be afraid of death. I think there's an allusion to the resurrection, even in verse 20, where he says, You have made me see many calamities, troubles and calamities. You will revive me again. And right there, that phrase, from the depth of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. Now, I don't think the psalmist was maybe specifically talking about the resurrection, but if you're talking about an old man who is going into the earth, who will be brought up again with greatness and comfort, to me, it sounds like by the Holy Spirit, we're getting this, this, this nugget of resurrection that we believe that Jesus Christ has conquered death so that all who die in him may triumph over it in him and be raised and be made like him. And so I can say to our older saints, you don't have to look down the hallway of time and be afraid of dying. There's a countdown happening. Your countdown is happening. It's counting down from life on this earth, and it's also counting up to when you will see your Lord and Savior face to face, and you will be made new, and you will run and leap and sing for joy, and you will worship, and there will be no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no sadness. This is all being guarded and protected by Jesus for you. And so, there's a song on our Spotify playlist. And so, I'm a, I'm a Spotify, right? I know you're like, what is Spotify? It's an app where you can, uh, there, there's music there. So, all I have to do is go out there and, and you click on a button and you don't need CDs anymore or cassette tapes. It's all like digital. And all you got to do is download the Spotify app and give them your email address and you can have a whole library of music. And so every week on our, our, our Friday update, we usually send out the playlist, right? We'll, we'll send out songs that we're going to sing. But if you click on the link this week, then you probably heard a rap. And no, we're not going to do the rap here, but I will rap from the last song, uh, the last line of the song. And it's written by Shaolin. And Shaolin, uh, the, the name of the song, As the Hour Draws Near. And it's a song, three people are dying. And one person is dying, he does not know the Lord, he's rebellious. I mean, even when he breathes his last, he is still uh, saying rebellious things about the Lord. There's a second person who is a believer, and, and he's dying kind of uncertain. Like, I, I, I believed in you, but man, I look at my life and it doesn't look a lot like yours, and I've repented, and I hope, you know. And then there's the third person. And, and listen to what this third person writes about as he awaits death. Life was quick, but these last breaths seem the longest. I'm on the brink of entering everything that you promised. My heart skips thinking of what I'll be in a moment. This joy is undeniably the precious fruit of the atonement. 
in just a few breaths, I'll walk into your marriage feast and taste of your goodness without getting cavities. That's a good line, right? (laughs) By the blazing glory of the one that I've been waiting to see and I'll see him to see his face and worship perpetually won't be boring because his flesh won't be a hitch anymore. I'll be restored to new morning after morning because of the cross where you bled. Death, I'll leave here on this hospital bed. My life was long and I'm ready to go. I stood strong and I'm ready to go. I can't wait to sing along with the throng up in heaven, you know. It's where I belong. I'm ready to go. That's how I want to die. I want to die like that. Ready to see Jesus. Ready to enter into the joy of our master. And you see, I think what we're getting at in the, and that's why the psalmist is saying, my mouth is filled with your praise. I'm consumed with your glory all the day. I hope continually. I praise you yet the more. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the heavens You who have done great things, who is like you? I think what's happening there is though this older man, his sight, he's losing his sight and his hair is turning gray, but something is happening. His outer man is wasting away, but his inner man is being renewed day by day. And so there is a difference. If you put a non-believing person next to a believing Christian, externally they might both look old and they might both be weak. But something's happening at a different place. One is wasting away outside and inside. One is wasting away outside, but that inner man, that inner woman, is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think you see it, right? In 1 Kings 1, this is the reason I had you read 1 Kings 11, was because it talked about Solomon and his old age. But if you turn back to 1 Kings 1... This is David in his old age. And I think, there's a, I think there's a comparison going on. Now, notice what it says in, in 1 Kings 1. Now, King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. And therefore, his servants said to him, let a young woman be sought for my lord, the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord, the king, may be warm. And so they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout the, all the territory of Israel. And they found Abishag the, Shum- the Shunammite and brought her to the king. And the woman was very beautiful. Now, stop right there. Don't read the rest. The last time we saw David's name next to a woman who was very beautiful in the Bible, it was Bathsheba. And he took her and he laid with her and he had her husband killed. And so if you're like me, I'm thinking like, no, David, don't do it. You're going to put a dime piece next to him and say, you're going to be the one, the most beautiful woman in all of Israel. We want you to lay next to the king and wait on the king and keep the king warm. In my mind, I'm thinking like, oh my God, this is a train wreck, right? Look at how the verse ends. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not. The king knew her 
not. Did, did you catch that? This ain't young David. This is older David, whose joy and satisfaction is not in a woman. It's in Yahweh. Do you believe that's true for you aging Christians? That you can age with dignity and you can age with hope and you can age with increased vigor related to the things of the Lord. And that's his promise to you in Jesus. The last thing, the blessing of the aging in our midst. We get this image of this older person struggling, but what we also see is this older person understanding the role that they still play in the covenant community. You see it in verse 15. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day. Verse 16, I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Verse 17, O God, from my youth you've taught me, and I will still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Verse 18, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Verse 22, I will praise you with the harp. I will sing praises to you with the lyre. Verse 24, my tongue will talk of your righteousness all the day long. You get the image here that this older saint cannot go do a crossover and spin and dunk on you at the basketball ministry on Saturday, right? This older saint is not about to get on a house and repair a roof. This older saint is not about to run recreation at BBS tomorrow when they're outnumbered 50 kids to one, right? There's a lot that the older saint isn't doing in this psalm, but what you do see the older saint doing in the psalm is using these lips right here. Did you catch that? My mouth will tell of your praises. I will remind them of your right. Who, who is the them? It's the covenant community. Notice what he says. Do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to who? Another generation. In other words, you're starting to see that though you're, you are aging and though you have limitations on what you can do, If your tongue and mouth still works, you can pray. And it is powerful. And you can speak and teach of the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's powerful. And you can disciple young people, and it's powerful. You can still open your mouths even when your hands and, and bodies don't work. And we are a better church and more healthy when our older members teach our younger members. I'll never forget this. It's marked me for my entire life. When Redeemer was about to be planted, we were meeting in the sanctuary, and there was a legal contract that we pulled out, and there was something that happened in the, the, the legal contract where we as a young church, we felt wronged. And we were in here talking about how to deal with it. And at that moment, one of our older members, she stood up and here's what she said. She says, let's not fuss over this. 
as I recall from the book of Genesis, when Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen were fighting over land, do you remember what Abraham did? He went to Lot and says, we're family. We're not fighting over land. You take what you want, and what you don't want, I'll take. And Lot chose the land that looked like Eden. And Abraham had the lesser portion, but he had God. And when she sat down after that, you could hear a pin drop. Why? Because wisdom won the day. She spoke up and she spoke out. And this young church needed her voice. I say that to you if you are an older saint. You still have a purpose here. This covenant community, we need you. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in growing old. We love you. Amen.